If you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 8. As you're turning, again, just to bring to your attention, we do have uh, Maurice and Joanne Sykes that are here. I thought they were here. Where are they? Joanne, Maurice, please stand. Uh, so, again, a lot of you know Joanne and Maurice. They are the missionaries that we have sent out. Uh, we get to claim them. I know that he was trained in different places, but he's ours. So uh, so we sent them out to Romania. You guys can have your seats. So uh, they are in town for a few weeks, and they're going around to uh, different churches. But please uh, love on them, give them a hug and a, and a kiss hello, and uh, get to know uh, a lot about what's going on in Romania um, from them. And so, uh, again, it's good to see them. It's always good to have friends back home and to hear God's good news around the world. So we're in Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1 through 18 this morning. Um, and again, this is kind of the climax of the introduction section. So uh, what happens here from chapters 10 through the end are the Proverbs, the little snippy uh, words of wisdom. And uh, so we're finishing up our introduction. And so we get to a time where we're seeing a, an opportunity to, to make a decision here. And so there's a lot of things in regards to decisions. I don't know if the story is true, but it's it's out there. I tried to see if it was true, but Ronald Reagan told a story uh, one time about the lesson of his shoes. And so his aunt at one point took him to get his shoes uh, remade. And so the, the person asked him, do you want uh, square toe shoes or rounded toe shoes? And Ronald Reagan responded, I don't know. I'll think about it. And so a week went on and the, the person saw him again and said, Okay, Ronald, what is it going to be? Is it going to be square-toed shoes or round-toed shoes? And he's just like, I don't know how to decide. And he said, well, just come back next week and your shoes will be done. And so Ronald Reagan made his way uh, to get his shoes. And when he picked them up, he found that one of his shoes was square-toed and one of his shoes was round-toed. And the, the person said, I want you to understand this, Ronald. If you don't make a decision, people will make decisions for you. And he said he never forgot that lesson of the shoes. And so, again, he had to decide to make a choice. We have to decide to decide because if we don't decide, someone will do it for us. So, again, some decisions are easy, right? What am I going to eat? What am I going to do? What am I going to wear? And if we get those wrong or if we get those mixed up a little bit, it's not such a big deal. But some are harder. If you remember the Toy Story movie, remember that they had little Bo Peep over top and the thing said to Sheriff, what do you need to decide? Does she die by shark or does she die by monkeys? That's a hard decision, right? But what about in life? What about what job, what career you go into? What about where you live? Or let's make it really hard. What if you have to make a decision between your wife or the child being born is going to live because one's going to die? How do you make that choice of who lives and who dies? See, what we find in this passage is we have a decision to make. We either go the way of wisdom or we go the way of folly. And it seems like a clear picture, but I don't think it's as clear as we think it is. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for him to give us wisdom to understand this morning. Heavenly Fathers, we come to your word. It is 
your word. And you're the one who understands life and life abundantly ever more clearly than we could ever dream or imagine. And so, Father, I ask that you would truly give us eyes to see and understanding mind and a heart to take in. And then, Lord, drive us, drive us to the way of wisdom to your son, Jesus Christ, so that we truly might find life, life abundantly and life everlasting. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to see that there is, in this passage, two invitations. And so we're going to look at verses 1 through 6, and then we're going to skip the middle of the passage and look at verses 13 through 18, because we're going to contrast the two invitations that are going on. Now, there's an invitation that both of these give, and the invitation is to the simple. They are both calling out. Both wisdom and folly are both calling out to the simple that are passing by. They're just simply walking by. And both of them are asking that person to stop and to turn, to come off of their path and turn to the way of either wisdom or folly. Now, again, we think that this is an obvious choice, right? Obviously, we should choose the way of wisdom. Makes sense, right? Except for a little thing called Sin. Now we all recognize that we have a proclivity to sin. Again, we never had to teach children to say, mine. And it's amazing that you can have a child playing with a toy. Another child comes in, takes another toy in the room. And all of a sudden that child who is playing so nicely with that one toy wants the toy that the other child is playing with. Give me, give me, give me, give me. No, you play with your toy. I want this toy. We don't teach that. We all want to have our own way. Even after we are Christians. Listen to Romans chapter 7. To what the Apostle Paul says. So find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I also see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin." See, it's not so clear because there is sin within and there's the allure of the world outside of us. And so a lot of times we get caught up in in sometimes compromising who we are, compromising the scripture, compromising the things that we believe in to fit in. One of the things that, that we sat around the table last night and um, we had some different people there, and we were asking questions. Why is it hard to be a Christian? And without a shadow of a doubt, the, the top two things were trusting God with all of our heart and all things, that he's going to do things that are good. And the second thing is I want to fit in. I want to fit in at my school. I want to fit in with friends that are around me. And so there's a struggle with all of us to, again, to, to figure out which invitation are we going to lean towards. And so what we need to do is we need to unpack this a little bit. And the first invitation is to wisdom. 
It's to wisdom. And so what happens is this passage gives us a description of wisdom. It says, wisdom has built her house. She has shewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beast. She has mixed her wine. She's also set her table. She has set out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. So again, we see a couple of things in regard to this home. One, wisdom is a classy lady. She is someone who is uh, doing things. She has a, a palatial home. That's part of the understanding. And again, you can go to commentaries and people have hundreds of ideas of what this means that she uh, hewned out seven pillars and that it was a, a palatial home. I just think, one, it's a big home. Okay? And she's inviting everyone to come in. And as she invites everyone to come in, what she does is she sends young women to begin to go out to call. And so these young women are bold in public. They're crying out for people to come in to Wisdom's house. Come in. All of you who need understanding, who need to gain wisdom, come into her home for it's open to you. And so again, this could be uh, make application. This can be many workers here in the church. You could be a Sunday school leader. and You're the one going out and calling people in. You could be the youth worker. You could be the Bible study leader. You can be in a one-on-one ministry. You can be the discipler. You can be whatever, but you have been called to go out and to preach the gospel, to be bold, to ask people to come. Find wisdom. Come and hear the truth and gain understanding. And so it's this invitation that goes out for us to call people to come and know Christ. Come and find what is true. Because the things that you've settled for are death. And so they call out, and but they also, she says that she has set the table. She's given a feast. And it's not just a feast. It's not just a banquet. It's the finest. She's gone out and she's killed the fatted calf. She's brought in her wine. Not the cheap stuff. Not the stuff in a box. This is good aged wine. It's the finest of the fine. And she says, come, it's been set before you. Come and drink and eat and be full. That is what it's like to to taste and understand and to taste and see that Jesus is good. Oh, what an incredible thing. And so she gives this great invitation. She brings everybody into the house. She gives them this feast and she says what in regards to it? So live your, leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. So again, the fulfillment of this is a, an invitation to live. John 10, 10 says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus came that they might have life and have it abundantly. See, that's the thing of wisdom. That's the thing of church. Again, I struggle with some people who, who get of the, the mentality who say, I'm okay with Jesus, but I don't like his people. You can't have it that way. Jesus was very clear when he said, um, when they asked him, what are the, the greatest commandments? And he said, it's this, to love your Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he doesn't stop saying, hey, if you have your relationship with God right, then that's okay. He says, and... To love your neighbors, not just as neighbors, not just as enemies. He says, love your neighbors as yourself. So again, we have this understanding that again, we we need to have life abundantly. 
We need to understand what this Word of God says so that we might be able to grasp and understand wisdom and apply it. Then we can live life abundantly. We're not sitting there worrying about what the world says or or what's the greatest thing at the moment or or what's the new thing coming down the pike. What's the new fad? What's the new um, investment? What's the new... Who cares? None of that satisfies. Only life in Christ will ever give us life and understanding. So now let's contrast that to folly. So the invitation still goes out to the simple from folly. Now, how is she different than wisdom? It says that she is seductive. She sits in her doorway. She's seductive and she what? Knows nothing. Now, what I want you to understand is all of you guys have seen movies or if you've ever gone to Universal Studios or whatever, they have um, a back lot, right? Now, what's unique about that back lot? All the houses that you see are facades. You have just the one opening side of the house. Everything in the back is open. It's not finished. That's the understanding of what's going on here. Folly sits at the doorway and it seems like her house is complete. It's a facade. There is nothing there. It's not a palatial home. It's not a place to be coming and be invited into. Because there's nothing there. So she sits at the door and she pretends like she has the answers of the world. And so in the midst of that, she alone, listen, it's, I want you to catch on to that. She alone is the one calling out. She doesn't have like the... Um, wisdom where the young women goes out into all the places of the city and call out to those. She has no one to call for her except herself. And so she's going out and how does she get her attention? She's loud and she's seductive. And that gets us a little interested. And so we begin to listen because we listen to her because she says that she doesn't offer a feast. She gives us food. But she gives us food that is stolen. And she says to us very clearly that the stolen is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Now let's just make this practical. Okay? When... And I'm telling a little bit on myself. If you've ever drank under the age of 21, first of all, you're probably buying cheap stuff. So you're not buying the good stuff. And you're just trying to beg not being caught, whether you have a fake license or you look like you're older than you really are or whatever. But what's the excitement of drinking under the age of 21? Is it the drinking? Most of the time, if we're honest, it's the excitement of getting away with it. They didn't catch me. Bush beer, gross. They didn't catch me. Because there's an excitement of getting away with it to sin. And again, that's what's happening. Bread that's stolen, it's bread. It's not a prime steak. Why are we getting excited? It's bread. It's crumbs. It's water. It's not wine. It's water. 
The only thing that makes it exciting is that it's stolen. It's someone else's. It's ordinary at best. And so the reality is, is that, again, we have to make sure that we see what's going on. And what's happening is there's a relationship, okay? So it does say that there's something here where she is being seducive and seductive, okay, to the person of saying, come into my home, come away. And it's a two-way married man is the understanding in the, in the scripture when you read it. So there's a seduction to say, come and have something that's not yours. And then you can celebrate and you can enjoy because why? Because it's not yours. So settle for the ordinary at the cost because... It's something that you're given that's somebody else's. Now, what's the fulfillment to folly? The scripture says very clearly, death. The wisdom cries out and says, turn aside, come here, and you will gain understanding. You go to folly, she doesn't even know what she's telling you to come get. She's at the door and she says, turn here, and I don't even know nothing. But come here, listen, and you'll still gain no understanding. And then what does the scripture say about what's there? Verse 18. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of shale. So here you see people coming. So if they were to step into this house, not the palatial house and the feast of the wisdom, but if you cross the doorstep and you walk into the facade, what do you see? Dead people. People upon people upon people upon people who keep going into that door. They don't know any better. And by the time they know, they're dead. So which will you decide? Will you go to wisdom? Or will you go to folly? Now, how do you know? Now, I want us to go back to this middle passage because I think it asks questions that are very telling to us. And what do I mean by that? Well, again, we understand that there are signs for things that we do. There are signs if you have cancer. There are signs if you are pregnant. There are signs that you give off if you're lying, if you have depression. There are signs that you give off to other people to let them know something is amiss. Okay? Well, there are signs that we give off that lets people know whether we are wise or whether we are fools. The first one is this question. How do we react to correction? Verse 7. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. So do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. So the question we should ask is, are we a scoffer and therefore of folly or are we of wisdom? See, if you're someone who's a scoffer, you're someone who likes to give abuse or injury to people when they correct you. And I know if you've been living any course of lifetime that you have run into those people when you go to correct them, even in love, and you say, hey, I've got some something about your life that I want to talk to you about. And they respond to you with hatred and scorn. You have no right to say this to me. You have not been given the freedom to speak to me. You cannot say these things to me. 
I am okay. I am right. I am in control. I know what I'm doing. I know. I know. If you become militant when someone comes to talk to you or defensive or you begin to try to find dirt on that person, then you're probably a scoffer. Because if we're of wisdom, it says the wise is the one who is open and has a humility to grow. Now please understand, it doesn't mean when you find yourself being corrected, it doesn't hurt. Sometimes it can be very hurtful. But the response is not to attack the person that comes. The response is to say, maybe this is true about me. Maybe there is something that I need to change. Maybe I'm the one to need to ask for forgiveness. I'm the one to have to say I'm sorry. I'm the one to ask for forgiveness. And when people correct you, you love them more. You love them more. Because they cared enough to say the hard things. See, again, it's easy to be good acquaintances in the church. Which means... We all lie to each other and when asked the question, how are you doing? I'm fine. I'm good. Everything's going well. Praise the Lord if you're really spiritual. But go to someone and ask, what's really going on? What's really at the very core of who you are? What are your desires? What are your your hang-ups? Where are your hurts? And listen for the truth. Because it might be, I'm the problem. You're the problem. And we need to go back and to, to, to mend those relationships. That's why it's so important when we come to the Lord's table. What is it that keeps us from forgiving others? Sometimes it's our own sin. Listen, if you can't look at your life and go, I've forgiven everybody, every, no matter who's hurt me, no matter how badly they've hurt me, if you can't forgive them, then you don't understand grace. You don't understand Jesus. Pastor, you don't understand. I do understand. The time that I had to forgive my dad for walking away from our family, for moving away, for divorce, for for becoming a a father to other kids. People who who come and attack. Think of what people have had to do in, in wars where they've had to forgive the people that have killed their family members. And they forgive them because they understand grace. They understand what wisdom calls them to do. So how do you respond when correction comes your way? The second question is this. Who or what is the object of our worship, our affection? Verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So who are we worshiping? God or idols? See, if it's... God, at some point we figure out that the world is not a safe place. And when we figure out that the world is not a safe place, a lot of us become, what, cynical. And so how do we treat God? With sarcasm. If God is good, then why this? If God really cares, then why this? See, we should be responding with reverence. We should be running to God and saying, God more than anybody understands because he didn't have to give his son. 
And yet he gives his son for us to restore us to a right relationship so that we can run back to him to worship him with our whole hearts. Or does it become idols? And how do you know the difference? Well, with your idols, I would ask, who does this help? Is it for an audience of one, of God, or is this about me, myself? If you're stingy, maybe you have an idol of money. If you have to find yourself fulfilling your relationship on a computer, then maybe sex is your idol. Maybe if you can't control your kids or you just throw up your hands and say, well, what's a parent to do? Then maybe your kids have become an idol. See, we can put a lot of things into the place of where God should be. And so he asks us the question, where's our reverence? Where's our worship? Is it to God or is it to self? And then the last question we should ask ourselves to know if we are a folly of wisdom, do we really recognize the benefits of wisdom? Because what it says to us, if you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. And so we know that the way of wisdom says you'll find life and you'll find life abundantly, but the way of wisdom is death. So do we really understand the benefits? Because the benefits is not just life here, it is life everlasting. See, God gave Jesus, he gave a part of himself for us so that we might be with him forever. Not as slaves And I want you to get that. Do you understand that that would have been enough for us? Just to be in heaven as slaves would have been more than merciful. But God looks at those he calls Christians and says, you are co-heirs with Jesus. You're adopted children of God who receives an inheritance of the kingdom of God for the sole reason that he loves you. And so as a loving father, what does he do? He remakes us into the image of his son. He, he takes other people into our lives and he chops away the pieces that are sharp and are hurtful and are cutting to other people. And he begins to smooth out our rough edges. He begins to have the sole desire, hopefully, to be Jesus and to fall in love with him. Or we can find ourselves in the midst of death. And again, death is where we will give away who we are for what? For temporary pleasures. I will compromise for the moment. And then we find it easier and easier and easier to compromise over and over and over again. And what do we find there? Fulfillment? One day we wake up and find that we've been dying slowly. But here... Here's the, des- the decision and the choice for you today even. There's still hope. There's still Christ. And he calls to us and he says, come and leave the path that you're on and turn to me and find understanding and life and life abundantly and life everlasting. Because if you open your eyes and you stay on the path you want, you're going to find death and despair. And you'll find everyone that was your friend is nowhere to be found because no one cares. So there's your choice, wisdom or folly. And the question for us to answer today is which will you choose? It is a decision. So we can either run to God 
or we can run from him. The decision's yours. Choose wisely. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, you have given to us, you have brought to us, you've given to us your word where we find wisdom spoken about. We find wisdom in the person of Jesus Christ. We find wisdom in your church, your bride. We find wisdom in brothers and sisters in the Lord who are willing to speak hard truth, but to love us through it. Or we can go to the world, Lord. Lord, it seems like fun. It seems like it has answers. So Lord, give us eyes to see and understand that the world, all it has to offer is a facade. It can look the part, but has only death to give. So Father, I pray for everyone in here that we would come to know Christ and know him more and more intimately today than when we came. Lord, not doing things for Jesus, but falling in love with Jesus. Because he is the perfecter of our faith. So Father, receive our praise even now. May it be to your glory and to your honor. And may we truly be a church filled with wise and loving people. Because of Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. And all God's people said. Amen. Amen.